They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another fun-filled episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. As always, I am your coast. Your coast. I am on the East Coast. Crap. I am your host, Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa. And before I introduce my very special guest, I would like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. You are Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Andrew Krauss, Robert V. Aldrich, Greg Downing, Mike the Gatherer, Kevin Vie, Peregrine, Geeks with Shields podcast, V Green Goblin V, and Brendan Agnew. Thank you all for supporting the show and also just for being awesome and being my friend online or outside, whichever way. I just really enjoy it. Um, this week's show, as a lot of my shows are, are brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week, each week, while I'm speaking really well this week, each week hosts Axel and Elwork provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long-forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs. And... Awesome, awesome guest tonight. I am here on the debut, um, streaming debut of um, his awesome found footage flick, which I get to watch um, a few months back. Thank you so much. I'm here with Ash Hamilton, writer, director, star, if I'm allowed to say that, of uh, Holes in the Sky, the Sean Miller story. Ash, how you doing, bud? I'm good. I'm good. We'll we'll fake the start till we make it bit. I'm fine with that. Nice. Nice. I love it. I, I wasn't sure if you were going to go with star or be like, you know, what do you mean? This was a real documentary. It'd be like all like the Blair Witch Project guys taking out ads in variety for people's wakes and funerals and stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wish that the uh, Internet was 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 able to to sort of be a forum for that now. But I, I think maybe we're a little too far removed in this day and age, but uh, it'd be great if we could still do that. Yeah. Well, it was funny. I, um, <laughs> I did a recording God a while ago with the guy that made hell house LLC and it kept having these weird dropouts. So it like, added right. to Like the weirdness of it. So I did a bunch of like backwards um, recording and put it in there. So if people went and like, listened during that, it like had like a secret, like decoder ring message. And I thought that was kind of <laughs> nice. funny because it went right along with it. So that is great. Yeah, that is that is awesome. Yeah, but but anyway, so th- this thing, God, I don't even remember how long ago it was. Um, but you you were on one of the awesome Facebook found footage sites, um, h- hyping this thing up, and um, you know, I got to thankfully for you in full disclosure, you you had sent me a copy of it to watch, and it just it really really got me, and I've uh, been promising a review, and I apologize, things have been. Um, up and down for me over here, but I thought this could act as a dual talk about your movie and and a review of it because I I absolutely loved this thing. Well, thanks. No, and I yeah, I'm all for this. Like I, I, I it's interesting that you say shoot the shit because that's sort of a preoccupation of mine. So you know, being on here and being able to do this now, this is this is just right for me, man. I love it. Cool. Well, you know, not to not to prime you too much, um, but but I, you know, I, I just wanted to tell you a few things before getting into it. Anyone listening to this, I highly recommend getting out to Amazon, getting out to Voodoo. Are, are those the two places it's available right now? Uh, yes. And then December sixth will be DVD, Blu-ray, Apple, and a, a bunch of others. Cool. And um, so if if you haven't watched it, I'm I'm gonna try on on Ash's discretion to not 
spoil the whole damn thing, but we're going to talk about some some stuff about it that genuinely freaked me out. So if you want to go in cold, this is this is one to see cold. And my, my biggest takeaway and what I've been telling everyone is that Ash and his fellow compatriots, and I'm saying this like you're not here, but um, this is what I would have said in the review, are extraordinarily well-versed in this genre. And you can tell because you you've really you've made a movie that like you know it has like the kinds of things you'd expect in like a leg mungo or a blair witch project or um god you know i could go on and on and on and on you know dash cam movies like that um the, the fake documentary format um incident at Loch ness all you know the layers of is this real is this fake you, you really nailed that feel and like the feel that this could have been something that could have been shown on like an unsolved mysteries kind of show if you really wanted it to be and right. knowing your knowing your audience and knowing that people love things like that but something i haven't seen in too many found footage alien movies that and i use alien with air quotes um because <laughs> yeah. i i like that <laughs> now that kind of like well is it is it not we'll watch the damn movie but um I like the idea that aliens are a supernatural force. Like there's scenes in your movie that could be in any horror film, could be ghosts, could be aliens, could be something else. Either way, they're genuinely like deeply creepy and unsettling. And the characters in the film don't even know what's going on. And I, I like the setup. I, I love the, um, the 911 call to start out the movie I love how things get unraveled and you're kind of told before you're shown and then shown before you're told and it all just kind of melds together. It it really, I don't know if you, if you're up for saying this Ash, but you know, how much did this thing cost? Okay. So actually you're the first person that's going to hear this. Oh, okay. Because and you don't have to say it, to... it. Just, it always surprises me. I, I've, I've been working on some, independent films myself and it's just always surprising um when you hear somebody say it you know well yeah and we sort of we juggled around some some numbers uh initially in the beginning um because it's, it's a weird industry like you know not that you want to be shady but you know you tell someone you spent too much on something and then they think it's not worth something oh, or right. you you know you tell someone that you you spent way too much on it and then all of a sudden it, it loses its value that way. It's a weird seesaw kind of thing. And, and you're trying to find this weird balance. But um, I luckily was a person who I, I work in an audio and video. So um, I'm, I'm lucky to the extent where I have a lot of equipment. Um, so as far as like renting equipment or having to come by equipment, that was something that I never had to figure into the budget, which mm. played a huge part part in even being able to do the film so there was oh, no that's, equipment that's, rental. that stuff can cost 50 60 100 000 if you go crazy oh easy easy yeah. and i've luckily been acquiring this stuff over like the last you know 15 20 years so i've got all of this equipment and you know that was a big factor in going into this so if the only thing that i really had to purchase was a couple of um mics that we needed for a couple of the shots and um, a lens that I, I really wanted for some of the interview segments. So mm -hmm. um, now this is minus marketing. So if we take marketing out of it completely, um, meaning like 
Facebook campaigns and everything, you know, everything to try to spread the word. If marketing is removed, we spent $700 on the film. Holy crap. Yeah. And, and again, that, that, that's the kind of story I like to hear, right? Because you know, this, this thing, right. And, and I mean this, this is, you know, you could say it's trying to butter up a guest. You did let me see a movie, but found footage is such a weird thing because you can spend a ton of money to make it look cheap or you can spend <laughs> no money to make it look really good. But there's a lot of times where it can come off as trying too hard to look cobbled oh, together. Yeah. And instead your, your movie has a through line to it that feels, you know, like the, like you said at the beginning, we can't lie like they did with the Blair Witch Project or stuff. You know, that tongue in cheekness is kind of gone in the marketing yeah. for found footage. But you can mm -hmm. still watch it and get engrossed. I saw someone post a review to you because you've been sharing them today that said I had already seen it and I still spent the time going through and Googling things because you say them with so much conviction. You're, you're the character Ash Hamilton in the movie, right, is the fact checking and the discussion and the talking about the layered, the the the, the Cimmerillian-ness of the layers of the story that you give here of like, you know, to, to break down what happened to these people and what happened to you guys, it really engrosses you. It pulls you in. And, uh, and I I'm, think that's important. I, I like some realness too. That's a great term. I'm gonna yeah. I, I don't know where that came from. I was watching the rings of power <laughs> recently. So, <laughs> but, but that like, you know, you're writing a backstory that, you know, what, what do you care about as a filmmaker, right? If, if people can figure out the backstory or at least understand a little bit of it from the performance or from the discussion, then you did something right, you know, and yeah, having these people, all these characters feel lived in. And I know you're playing yourself and other people are playing themselves, but it's this fictional. I've been obsessed with this alien abduction thing for a while version of yourself. And it all felt very real and sincere where that's hard to do. In my opinion, from yeah. making films myself. No, I, I, and I, I think it is. And, and then, you know, before we started shooting, I, I sort of struggled with a lot of, of those concepts. You know, we had, we had a movie um, right before COVID that we were working on and we had had a script done and it was more of a, a traditional, like linear narrative sort of film. Um, and uh, COVID came along and, and just killed us. You know, it's like, it was sad, but we were all ready to go and we, you know, had a budget lined up and we had some, and, and you could even go take a look at it. It's a very different film um, than some of the stuff we're doing now, but it was uh, this, uh, 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 <laughs> this tale of um, a, a sect of, of warrior nuns. Oh who, man. They, um, <laughs> yeah, it gets, it gets even worse. So there's a sect of warrior nuns who, um, they're Canadian. Like we wanted to place the whole film in Canada. We just felt there weren't enough Canadian productions. And we're from the Midwest in the United States. So there was like no real attachment. But it was like, man, you don't see a lot of films made in Canada. At least admit to it. You know, everybody else just shoots in Canada and gets a bunch of tax credits. But we thought, well, let's do a movie where let's say there's this prophet and this, this Catholic priest. And it, prophecy never really gets things all that right. Mm. So... He's like, hey, the, the battle between good and evil is going to happen. The, the Antichrist is going to be born, and it's going to be born in this gentleman's lounge in rural Canada, like a strip club. <laughs> so we're going to send these warrior nuns in, 
Well, they send them their seven years early. So by the time the actual event happens, they've lost their faith. They've all developed pretty horrible coke addictions, and they're just like horrible people. So it's a reverse so, sister act. Yeah, essentially. So, you know, they're just jaded and like they don't even really believe what they're doing anymore. And um, there's uh, the loophole for their chastity is that they've also all become lesbians. So it, it's just very much a strict like exploitation film. And um, we, we wrote it with a, a heavy, heavy hand towards the, the comedy. And it was more of a comedy than a horror film, even though I'm a, I'm a huge horror movie guy. And um, what ended up happening was that uh, COVID came and. You know, everyone was telling me, like, you know, in the industry, like, hey, don't worry about it. Like, this this stuff happens. Yep. You know, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's just the investor losing interest, like, don't take this personally. Um, so I did what only comes natural to me, and I took it very personally and spiraled into a horrible uh, depression. So <laughs> I was trying to figure out, like, what I could do. And um, what really ended up happening was that I started writing different like um i would write stories that you know in hindsight i'd look back and go wow i just wrote a ten thousand dollar page or a five thousand dollar page right and i started to do something completely opposite it was like like, what if i I wrote a film that was that that i could do what if i wrote it with that in mind and um that was again one of the hurdles to get back what we're talking about was i i wanted to play it really straight which is not something that i i usually write with a lot of humor um, I, I just love inserting humor in my writing. I think it humanizes. And and in this instance, I'm like, I don't really want to do that that much. Like, I want to play these characters pretty straight. And um, I think the the angle that stuck with me to be able to do that was, um, well, people don't really talk about when strange, strange things happen is there's still, like, a level of trauma. Like, uh, you know, you get uh, a loved one hit by a car, you've got trauma. Um, right. You have to get over. Um, but strange things happen to people, things that they can't explain that is still associated with trauma. And, you know, the idea of abductions, I think, as far as like weird things or bizarre things go, when you see people talk about their experiences, like these are people that carry a lot of trauma with them. Like, you can see the, the weight on their shoulders when they talk about it. And even if you don't believe in it, you can definitely see that these people are haunted. These are haunted people. So that was sort of my approach was like, how do we, how do we focus on playing it straight, even though this is a film that, you know, relies heavily on the bizarre and unusual. So my angle was, is that I was going to write it from a, a, a place of trauma instead of writing it from a place of being bizarre. That that rings. That was a little long winded. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it rings so true because the you know the when we meet Sean and we meet Sean's wife, you know, and we're we're interviewing them and talking. You've done a lot of good foreboding foreshadowing in the interviews before, but they don't sound like the people you normally see being interviewed in this kind of thing. Like, right? You usually get like the crazy town yokel that's trying to convince you everything's true. Oh yeah. Person trying to convince you everything's fake. These people seem like we're only opening up to you because you approached us from a place of compassion and like wanting to understand. And so they, there's that, like they have a cage up or a wall up, but they're 
opening up and the the look in both of those characters look look like people that like you know survived a car crash you know like and they don't really know quite how to describe what they've gone through just that it's infecting their lives and it you know a, a lot of people joke in the found footage sector of things that you know any found footage movie all the interesting stuff happens in the end and the build that you were able to pull in this, like, again, watching it a second time, I just like sitting around with these characters. Like, hearing yeah. you guys, you know, sit over pizza talking about Saturday morning cartoons, that's, like, the kind of stuff you go back and watch Kevin Smith or Tarantino movies and go, the person that wrote this lived this. This isn't, like, yeah. this isn't, it, it's almost comes off improvisational. And, and I was going to say, you know, we'll dive back through, but you, you know, I, I was going to ask about that in a minute, but all of this to say that this movie is going to be like a yearly rewatch kind of a movie for me. This is way up there. And I know you've got a lot of awards and accolades. I want to, you know, ask you about that in a bit, but I just want to let you know, I really mean it when I say that this thing holds its own amongst movies that have cost, you know, millions of dollars. Um, and it's because I think you you really struck a chord on that the the angle you wanted to approach it from. You know, th this stuff can seem very insincere by the best people, you know, yeah. um, with with millions of dollars behind them, or it can just seem like no. Does this movie feel like something you could have just found in an old VHS tape? Yeah, it really kind of does, and that's really what you're going for. And I think you nailed it. But and I appreciate that. I really do. Everything you've said, believe me, that, that means a lot to me. It, it really does. I mean, when we started going about doing this and, you know, we started talking about things being improvisational, like there was a point where it, there was a point where we, we went about making it the way I, I would have always went about making something, which was we had a couple actors in mind. We approached them and um, things just, things were just falling apart. Like it was, it was weird when we first started doing this, we had this idea and, um, you know, I was starting to write a script and I was focusing on dialogue and focusing on this and that. And I had two people, one of which was actually a, a, a comedian that I thought would have been great as Sean. And okay. I approached him, um, with what I had of the script and he just seemed, he was very much an every man kind of guy. And I thought he was going to be great. And his schedule just didn't work out. And then there was someone that I was, uh, approaching to play his wife and that didn't work out and everything kept telling me like you just you just can't do this the normal way you do it like it's just not going to work that way or you're going to be sitting here two or three years from now still trying to get this made and we actually approached people that we knew who weren't actors who we knew on a personal level that were um that that had hobbies that lent themselves to maybe there was an actor in there that had sort of come out yet um one of which was uh sean ed who's a big tabletop gamer like we nice. know him from playing games with him like D D. and you know every time we'd see him sort of you know dm it was like here's a guy who's you know who who loves getting into a character even though he didn't really know he was doing it at the time you know to him it was just you know leveling up this game and making it a more immersive experience so we got people who weren't actors and we put them in front of a camera and i said here we're going to talk about some things i have talking points we're going to give you certain talking points i'm going to try to lead you 
uh, to where we need to be so that we can hit these beats. And we were very apprehensive because it wasn't something I had done before. I'd done some interviewing and Q&A kind of stuff, but nothing where we were trying to fictionalize conversations. So right. we had these people in an environment, and and then we we took a step back. We looked at everything we had, and it was like, oh, oh my. Like I, was very, I was very surprised. I'm like, well, this is actually really working. This comes across as being very organic and, and very natural. And that was actually at the point that I sort of abandoned the idea of like strict, rigid script writing. And we went more with like outlining scenes and trying to do it a little more unconventionally. So you're, you're very right to think there was a lot of improvisation because that was a, a, a bulk of how we approached everything on camera. That's awesome. And, you know, and all, all of that for me, me to get to telling you how, how awesome I thought it was, because it's it's really effective. And, you know. Second time through, it still was genuinely unsettling. And, and and that's a thing, like, when you write a script for, for a found footage movie, you know, of course, you there's going to be, when this thing, you know, gets seen by more people, there's going to be specific scenes in this people talk about. Um, You know, one of, one of my favorites is the thing in the cornfield, right? Oh, but yeah. Like, such a perfect sequence, you know, of just, like, I remember like turning it off when I was watching the first time. My wife's like, what's wrong? And I go, I just watched something in broad daylight that was so unsettling and I can't explain why. <laughs> like it just, it, 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 it didn't <laughs> my hair stand up, you know? Yeah, it was, it was a good decision. And, and, and we, um, we went over that decision quite a bit. And in fact, the person that you see out in the cornfield is, um, a, a relation of someone that was in the film um, who has uh, Ellos Danlos syndrome. So they're very like lanky and they're very tall. Mm. So we, we knew looking at them and, and, and they're still in their teens, but it was like, wow, they're, you know, they're a good, like six, six already. So, you know, if we can build up that height a little bit and really put a focus on, you know, just how sort of like sinewy and everything, like, you know, their arms and everything are, then we can really, you know, you get, you, you don't see it too clearly, but you get this idea that there is this otherworldly quality and they're sort of otherworldly a little bit in their, you know, appearance. Good, good, again, like a good looking, handsome kid, but, you know, the, the physical attribute natural. And I think, it's like it's barely there because it's so sort of far in the background. But I think your your brain sort of takes over and is like, man, how tall is that thing? Or how right, your brain, sort of thin or, or lanky you're is right. that thing? Your brain, and I'm right now I'm trying to remember it even though I just watched it. And it just, it, it you know, it, it could be, you know, where the sun was in the sky, whatever sort of post-production exposure you did if you didn't. But this, it just looks mm -hmm. not right. And then like. The whole that whole sequence, you know, up to the person, you know, interacting with it was that was the DP, right? Your cinematographer in the movie, and uh, yeah, and then the you know the black goo and everything, and, and I was gonna say, you know, to step back for a minute because all all of that was to get to me saying how much I liked it, but then step back. So you're you're an Illinois guy, you are right? You're from yeah. Illinois, um, whole whole life, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I was, I was in Illinois. I was, I was born and raised here. Um, and then in 99, um, well, actually about 98, 99, I took off and, and moved to New York and I was in oh. New York for about 12 years. 
Were you like downtown or upstate? Like where where were you in New York? Uh, I was I was I was in the Bronx yeah, for a okay. little while. Um, and then I moved. Uh, I was in Bergen County, New Jersey, for a little bit right across the bridge. Cool, nice. And I'm I'm Lynn, Mass, right near Boston. Been to New York, Jersey, a whole bunch. So, and I've been to Illinois actually. Just uh, you know, it's always good to get you know an idea where people come from. And you know, I liked that. I looked it up to be sure, but the three movies that you know you had made prior to this in the film, you know, the uh, Camp Death 3D in 2D and. <laughs> Um, slice and dice and play with me are actually a Canadian all, movie. Strangely, yeah. are all credited films, which I thought was cool because the the little snippets that are in this are so perfectly right that I kind of flip flopped and was like, do I want to look up and find out if he made these for the movie or not, or if they're actual <laughs> films that he made? Because they they the way that you cut the little trailers for them in there were. It reminded me of like almost like a like the middle trailers in the Grindhouse movie, right? Where it's like, did I do this just oh, yeah. tongue in cheek enough to make you think they're real? <laughs> you, you know? Yeah, I I, I wanted I wanted people to have a, a little like a little bit of disbelief, like you know, it's it, it it's weird because you know I approached it from two different angles. One was I I wanted people to to understand that I'm actually, you know, a a huge horror enthusiast. Like it's not, it's not a put on, like I'm a guy who loves horror movies and I love every aspect of whether it's, you know, uh, like down and dirty, you know, old, you know, video nasties from the eighties, you know, all the way up to, you know, we got into these weird, like buddy comedy horror comedies of the nineties. And, you know, then into even the, the bloom house stuff that we have now, like I wanted that angle to show like, okay, no, here we have, you know, an actual background in it, but I wanted to play it in a certain way where people who didn't care about that would look at it and, and go, oh my God, look at these movies, you know, Camp Death 3 and 2D, like, you know, I think there's a stigma with horror fans that sometimes we take things too seriously or we're oh, just yeah. sort of wacky and crazy. And I think that plays to that, you know, like here I am trying to do a, you know, a, a, a documentary that's a, a true to life thing, but yet, you know, I produced Camp Death 3 in 2D. So it's like, well, right, and it's, you might be able to take that with a great assault. No, you hit a really important point there because it makes the character, and I'm using air quotes and no one can see the character of Ash Hamilton in the movie, the way that you unfold the story of, okay, when you were at this guy's house, something messed up happened, and you're the only guy we see on the recordings now. So may or may not be you know it, it's the wait and see you know kind of thing with you talking like yes. serious and somber about what went down but also yeah but you know I'm, I'm i'm the guy that made these movies it makes your character come off like okay this guy is this guy really drinking his own kool-aid like what's up with him <laughs> you know what i mean because it adds to that like because you said you know you can take it tongue-in-cheek or you can take it like Oh man, he's seriously like, oh yeah, you're gonna love this serious documentary I'm making. Cause look what I made here. Right. Be like Lloyd right. Kaufman. I made the Toxic Avengers, so I'm the perfect guy to make a Martin Scorsese documentary. Exactly. That's kind of. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's sort of the, the approach that I had was like, you know, like here's a guy, and it was sort of like, let me take who I am, and then we'll just exponentially like increase the ridiculousness of me. Um. That like here's a guy who you know he's he's done some you know like seventy splatter stuff, and then he's done a, a this comedy that's obviously like a riff on you know camp killer kind of stuff. Um, like 
you take that guy and now he's going to do a hard hitting expose on you know like the holocaust it's like this yeah exactly I positioned it was like maybe this isn't the guy you want in your corner and doing a movie about the Holocaust. So I, I sort of played on that a little bit. I think no, it's perfect, and, and I like I like the idea of being able to take the piss out of yourself a little bit. You know, like if if you're if you're gonna put oh, yourself yeah. in front of the camera, have some fun. Um, and you know, all all that to say, you know, you, you had already gone into a little bit. You know, you hit COVID. You're working on that ridiculous. Um, uh, reverse sister act, which I can't wait to see footage from because that sounds crazy. But um, <laughs> yeah. what what brings you to this movie? Like I I've watched your your podcast, your video podcast that you do, and it's all about you know bringing on people in horror and conspiracy theories and aliens. Is this just like a like is the Ash Hamilton we see in this movie that would latch on to something like this Sean Miller story, like? part of your real obsessions like is that what led you to want to make a movie like this or was it just no aliens are fun i'll do this you know i think it was a a little bit of both um you know i i i listen to a ton of podcasts like i listen to a lot of uh, and then traditional radio like coast to coast am i still find very interesting um and, and i'm kind of one of those guys like i i love being up late at night and it's this weird sort of solitude when you're listening to radio because it's like it's just you and that personality. You know, yes. it becomes this very intimate exchange at, you know, one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. It's not like you're in a room with all the lights on, you know, it's like you've got this little, you know, little tiny desk lamp and, you know, it's got three or four feet of light. And it's like you're just you're there. It's, it's a it's a different kind of experience it's almost like you're a truck driver or something which i know a lot of that kind of radio is is sort of meant for those guys too um but i i think it was a little bit of both right i i love the subject i've always loved the subjects because i you know i i love the i i love this idea that the the world's a bigger place and that there's a lot that's still unknown and you know i love the romantic side to it too where I can acknowledge that I that I don't know. I'm I'm not. Yep. You know, portraying something as being real or being unreal. I, I could you know swing either way. You know, I do realize that there's obviously a lot of bullshit in the world, and you know you've got to have your detector on constantly because you can't just dive into everything wholeheartedly and be a supporter of it when, unfortunately, there are just bad people out there trying to make a dime off of it. So. Yeah, I, I, I've always loved the subjects, um, and, and I, I've loved it, again, because uh, it just paints the world a little bit bigger. It paints the world as a place that still has magic in it, and, you know, there's things hiding in the corner and, you know, uh, under the bed and, you know, un, under the rug. Like, I, I like this idea that we can take a step back and we don't know anything. We really don't know anything still. You know, we're still trying to suffer through the human condition and, you know, spending all of our money on you know, you know, erectile dysfunction medicine. We still don't even know how to cure cancer. It's like, we're such a like backward society, you know, like we just can't get it right. Maybe if we would have pushed money towards space exploration, we'd already be in some kind of federation or whatever, you know, it's neither here nor there. But so I I like the idea of it being, you know, a concept that I've always played around with, you know, whether it's star Wars or star Trek, stuff like that. But then I, I've also liked it from another angle where it's like, okay, you know, we probably aren't alone in the universe. 
who knows if they've been here or they haven't been here, but I love the idea of speculating about it. You know, to yes. me, that's, you know, that part of, you know, the philosophers, you know, that's um, the, the, you know, sort of the age of the age of philosophy that we never been able to get rid of, that we like sitting around in this oratory tradition of, of being able to speculate and hypothesize. And, you know, I think that's pretty powerful. And if you can sort of take that enthusiasm from both angles and, and give someone a, um, you know, a, a product or a story where they can also in turn get both of those things out of it. Then, you know, that, that, that stuff kind of excites me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so then, so you end up, you said coming up with this idea cause it's something you can shoot. Was it, was it a found footage approach from when you concocted the idea or did it start as something else and grow into that? Uh, I, I knew that I had to do it sort of a, uh, uh, unconventionally just because of the budget restraints. And I, I knew what I was already, what, what I was already good at. Um, so I was able to take some things that I sort of naturally good. I did a, a ton of like uh, corporate culture videos and, and Q and a stuff. Like I said, I had a bunch of equipment that, you know, leaned towards that kind of filmmaking. So, you know, I was able to take an approach where I step back and go, okay, I, I know how to light interviews really well. So I can make an interview look much more expensive than it, than it is. So let's make sure that that's here because that's something where we can fudge a lot of budget. We can just make it look really, really good with, with the right kind of lighting and the right kind of lenses. So yeah. I, you know, I approached that and then from doing a lot of audio engineering over the years and being in like in and out of bands and doing a lot of recording, I'm like, okay, I, I know that I'm, I'm good at audio. So I knew that I, that 911 call to me was very important. Like we have yes. to make it sound like a real call. That audio needs to really hit home when people are listening to it. They're not getting everything. They're getting enough that it makes them curious. So I knew that there were going to be these multimedia elements to it because those were things that to me were no brainers. It was like, okay, if we hit these marks and we hit them really well because we know how to do them, then we can flatten the learning curve on other things um, and it'll be a lot easier on us. So that was sort of like a multi-pronged approach. That's awesome. So was it, was it always um, horror um, leaning or was it, or did you kind of like, or did that grow naturally out of the subject matter? It, it, there was one thing that, like affected me. This goes back to like listening to late night radio and stuff is that I had listened to one interview with uh, the, the guy who wrote uh, Wolfen and the hunger Ooh, Whitley damn. Strieber, who was, you know, an experiencer, right. Um, mm -hmm. And he wrote communion, which that movie fucked me up to be honest with you with Christopher oh. Walken in it. It was just, there were, and, and I read the book when I was way too young anyways, like I should have read it that young because it had elements that were, it just preyed upon, you know, this, the, the, whatever was in the darkness, not just being something that you don't know about, but something that you can't possibly know about. It's, it's light years beyond what we can recognize and your brain goes to weird places. So the abduction phenomenon to me was always horrifying. Like it oh, plays yeah. on sleep paralysis. It plays on isolation. It plays on, um, you know, abduction, the idea of being kidnapped, taken out of your element. And I was listening to this uh, interview with Willie Strieber and he started talking about, how there was this common thread in abductions where people were talking about hearing deceased loved ones, where there was a weird supernatural quality that 
bordered on the UFO phenomena also, you know, having something to do with the afterlife. It was just so bizarre. Like it, it was, you know, b- beyond weird. It was way, way out there. And, and I'm like, okay, uh, you know, that there's something there. Like, like this strikes me a little bit differently because, you know, that's now we can possibly put elements of like poltergeist phenomena in here. Like if we ride this angle, we're not strictly limited to the lights in the sky kind of stuff. We can ground some of it in more of a haunting kind of thing um, and, and still have it adhere to the the real abduction phenomenon or alleged real abduction phenomenon. We did some research and talked to a guy like Terry Lovelace, who was another um, ad- abductee, and I got mm-hmm. to know him fairly well. And, uh, you know, some of the accounts and some of the things were just, you know, I think uh, it's weird that abductees feel like there's something they can't talk about, uh, you know, where they talk about the alien aspect, the extraterrestrial aspect, but it seems that they're sort of holding back and talking about the weird, weird, weird stuff, you know, where it's like, hey, we're already sort of there, you know, talking about this stuff. It's like, I don't know how we can't hold back, but I think, you know, they're used to a certain level of stigma that they don't want to go any further with it. So we don't quite get the weirdness that really happens where, you know, they're seeing things walk through walls. They're hearing dead people. It's so bizarre. And, you know, we wanted to focus on that because I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's bad enough that, you know, you have something really traumatic and, and something very, you know, out, outside the, the realm of normal happen to you but then it doesn't even really fit into that category. So it's like, man, there's no rules, you know, and if you have no rules, like to me, that'd be even more frightening because now you're like, I can't even put it in that box. It's just outside of everything. That I'm, I'm glad you put it that way. Cause that is the striking thing about this movie is that if you, if you come into it, like if I didn't know the title of the film, right. And yeah. you turned this on TV and started watching it and didn't have the setup, like, you know, you could easily, and still even watching it, you can be, I won't say tricked, but it feels like you're watching, okay, these these people are living in a haunted house. Like, that's literally what's happened to these two people, is they're literally being terrorized by some unseen force that is showing up as weird things in the cornfield and knocking on doors and you can't see it, uh, possessing your cinematographer and potentially making him be two different people like there's body snatcher yeah. stuff going on it you you played on so many things that i know like if you say one of these things you go yeah, yeah yeah okay so it's an alien movie but i go the angle of terror and fear sometimes doesn't get played right or isn't in the forefront in in an abduction movie you know um, fire in the sky definitely was horror heavy and the fourth kind is definitely horror heavy but this one is is horror heavy but in a very grounded how it's affecting the people that have been living with it I, i always love horror that comes to people like you said that are trauma survivors that are no like this happened and no one would believe me anyway so I'm just kind of still living with it, and it hasn't gone away, <laughs> you know. Right? Yeah, yeah. And and that was that was, we talked about that a lot. Like, you know, we talked about that a lot with with Sean and Stacy, you know, because it, it, it's this idea of it's sort of this idea of being in a very weird codependent relationship. Um, and like I I grew up 
like fairly poor. Like I, I never really had a lot of money. Um, and I always sort of saw relationships very differently than my friends who had money. Um, you know, you, you look at, uh, like a couple, for example, that has the ability to be, each one has the ability to be independent. They're probably more prone to, and, and this isn't always the case, but they have more options. I guess that's what I should say. They have more options. Like they can take a look at something like divorce and they can look at it in terms of numbers. They don't just have to be the emotional component. They're yeah, like, can I survive? Loyalty can be looked at as a choice instead of um, one, it's just the right thing to do because I'm a good person. And two, oh no, I'm kind of, I've kind of made these decisions. So I have to sit here and deal with it. Not, oh, I can step away at any time and we both can and we'll both be fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's strange. Like I, it, when I, when I have conversations with people and I talk about like, I mean, I wasn't like poor, destitute poor, but I mean, we were limited and right. those limitations affect people very differently, especially as they get older, they're still sort of stuck in those cycles, even when they do get money. So we sort of see Sean and Stacy as being two people where, you know, they're not people who have a lot of money. They're not people who have a lot of means or a lot of options. And, you know, when you ask people like people who 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 have ha have had haunting experiences, well, why didn't you move? Because it's not that convenient for everyone, right? It's I just can't not walk away. I mean, the idea of uh, yeah, it's like the idea of you know breaking a lease and then having it. There are tons of people in this country, and this is where Hollywood sort of you know drops the ball, where they they don't really know what you know true blue collar America is like, but you know, looking at someone and saying, just move. And then that person can easily come back with, no, you don't understand. I've got X amount of money tied up in this place. Um, I can't just sell it. Or maybe I just rent and I don't have enough for one month in a security deposit. I mean, those are the concerns that most of America deals with. It's just yes. not easy to change your situation. And that's sort of how I was approaching that. It was like, you know, these are people who can, you know, hire a night guard. These aren't people who, you know, they can afford a couple of security cameras, which we see in the film, but they don't have a system that's foolproof. They don't have, you know, a, a cops that beck and call and they're in the middle of nowhere. So that plays a really big part to me, especially in, in the way that I write is, is like, I, I don't know, writing rich people. And I, and that sounds weird just saying rich people. It's not like a little kid I'm saying it, but, but writing, about like the the wealthy or the writing about people of opportunity is not very interesting to me because even though they're just as multifaceted as people who don't have opportunity it seems like there's more ways out of a predicament and when you look at real people that predicament has so many angles that you can just turn it over for days and there's no easy way out Right, and I hope it, that makes shows, sense. You know, and, and it shows, you know, the, the the entitlement of your viewer, and like you said with Hollywood, of of not understanding that. Like, I hear a lot of people write off people's bad decisions very quickly, and well, you could just not do that. And and it's you know, right. I, I I've been talking to people a lot recently, uh, the movie Barbarian about that because there's 
there's a cycle of events that cause the characters to be in the situation that they're in. And people go, oh, it's just the old Hollywood trope. They're stupid. And I'm like, I'm not sure I agree. Because the movie sets up pretty damn well why they can't make another decision and why the police don't show up. And so it, it, it's very interesting to hear you say that, that I think that's a really good approach because why would you, you people talk with the alien abduction and the invasion? Why, why is it always some person in the middle of nowhere? Why is it always some person on their own? And it's like, well, if you wanted to mess with someone, wouldn't you prey on someone that is less easily going to fight back or escape? Uh, yeah, and and that makes that makes perfect sense. I mean, and, and you can boil that down to you know very real um, crimes that involve well, you know, well obviously that person's going to be assaulted because they're by themselves. It's a dimly lit place. It's a it's a it's a moment of opportunity. You know, right. like it, we talk, people don't have opportunity. There are those predators out there who see opportunity. You know, a lot more clearly. So no, that makes perfect sense. That's wild. So yeah, no, and that really, that really shows, you know, the the thought you put into these characters. Because again, it's a small cast of characters, but they, you know, your, um, I forget the name of the character. IMDb, I don't know if they have it right, but your your um your DP in the movie, the actor's name and the character. Right. Right. So be Brett. Brett Blakely is the actor, and Brett. Pearson is the character. Cool. So they don't have him on IMDb, so I wasn't going crazy. Um, but no. Uh, yeah, that was a little, little bit of a forethought when we were first like coming out of the starting gate. It was like, maybe we can uh, suspend a little more disbelief if, if we don't have the people give their real last name. So. No, that's okay. I just, I wanted to make sure I had the, uh, the character right, because um, I, I like that even, you know, like, you know, had I really thought about you know, what he had going on in his life, I might not have had him come. And I, I love that. And it is a trope, but it's a good one of like, you know, the guy that's probably going to be the affected the most in first is the one coming in with the most baggage. And you did some yeah. really great stuff with that. Um, Cause it's, and that was, that was a theme that like, there's, there's a version of this movie that's a lot longer, by the way. We we shot enough initially that we even thought about doing something episodic with. Oh, we, a, we had a lot of a lot of footage and a, and a bunch of different subplots we put into it. And you know, there were a couple moments where we're like, I think we we, we might have enough to try to serialize this. And, um, and I think the reason we didn't do it was because I I had no experience at that at all. Like I had no experience at how you try to distribute episodic television, how you go about getting representation for episodic television. Like um, it was just a, a monster that I, I had no idea how to put a leash on. So when we were doing that, it was like, okay, you know, I, I like the idea of it. We've got a lot of stuff here, but I think that um, for purposes of, of having something that we can show people, we, we need to, you know, make it more of a traditional standard feature film, but there was a lot of stuff. And there was a lot of stuff about, um, you know, things that, uh, you know, Brett had went through and, you know, there was a whole subplot about us sort of, you know, getting him out of this horrible depression that he was in. And that's why he was helping us again was because he needed to attach himself to something. Um, and then there was a whole lot of, uh, he had a lot of paranoia 
about uh, what I was doing with money, and he thought that I had more money than I had. So we had a lot of these, it, and they were obviously they leaned much more towards dramatic elements. All of these little subplots that we had, but we had a few of them that we were exploring, and almost all almost all of it got shot. It was just stuff that you know we were looking again when we were focusing almost primarily on it being a feature. It was just it was too much. It was just way too much to try to explore in one film. That's awesome. Now, um, as far as like putting together the the like through line of the movie, right? You know, I when I used to make movies with my buddies back, you know, before we went away to college and all had a lot more time on our hands, we'd often come up in a night. We'd hang out and come up with a concept and shoot a trailer, right? And that would be the oh yeah, basically all we could get. And so you'd come up with set pieces, right? Like okay, we have a basic idea of a story. This is what happened before we see this, but you cut you know, the trailer to show off some interesting scene. Do you, did you have like, like set piece or thematic ideas? Cause there, there's some really iconic bits to this. And I don't want to go blowing all of it. Cause I want people to watch it, but you know, like, like, like a, like a movie like Blair Witch Project or um, paranormal activity. There's some, there's images that get burned into your brain were were those like visions and ideas that you had like storyboarded or in the script before you started building a story around it or did that kind of come out naturally with the setup and locations and things like that yeah i, I think it a lot of things uh, sort of worked in in tandem um when we realized we weren't going to adhere to a traditional script um we started to do a lot of of just like um, fleshing out scenes like that was a big thing. We had a list of scenes. Like we knew pretty early on, like where we where we needed to go to to get to where we thought was you know ultimately the destination of the film. <laughs> like we knew that here's the setup and here's you know we we had our first or second and third act pretty well outlined, um, and we knew that, I mean, especially because you know we're movie uh, at least myself anyways, I'm a movie lover, and I'm like well I I know that we have to have this here or this here. Like I know that at certain points um, we've got to put this in it because this changes the way the audience looks at it and we can go back to this. So I, I think we were, it was, there was some puzzle pieces there. You know, we were trying to connect a lot of this cause we, we had this story that we knew was m- much more about this couple and you know, how they were dealing with what was going on. And we were like, well, you know, that's an interesting sort of idea for this documentary. But at the same time, you know, that we love horror and sci-fi. It's like we do want to put some creepiness in here, some unease. And that's when we started doing what we called like the gag list. Yes. We we had all of our scenes and we're like, okay, now let's just do a gag list. And then we'll see if we can pair it with a scene. And if that makes sense, then we'll have that full scene fleshed out and then that'll be where we go with it. So we initially had, and this is, this is something actually I've never talked about before either was that um, when we originally went to shoot the film, we were like three weeks away from starting to shoot it. And we were under the impression that the house was going to be entirely surrounded by corn. And we had a bunch of gags that were done primarily with corn in and out of the corn. And some of it we really loved um, because the corn out here goes really, really high. 
um, we're talking like eight, nine feet tall. Like once you're right. in it, you know, it's a, it's a game of Marco Polo to get out of it if you're in there really deep. Um, and then we found out, and this is what's crazy, is that, you know, we were, we were waiting to see some of the combines and stuff because we knew we'd be about a month, month and a half out from getting it to where we needed it to be. And um, they actually switched up the crop on us and changed it to beans. And like from the Midwest, it was like, why did we not think of that? Like, why did we not think of the possibility that <laughs> we just assumed every year out here was corn and now it's, it's beans. So we had a bunch of gags that we had to just take a look at and go, okay, do, do we keep it? Do we alter it? How do we even go about doing this? And, 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 and then strangely it caused us to be a little more inventive. And we realized that at one point we were like, man, we, we, that corn was a crutch. Like we had so much that relied on that corn that it was like, you know, this was going to be like, you know, the sister, the spiritual sequel to signs or something. And, right. and maybe that would have sort of limited us um, because the corn is something like it, it's, it's expected, you know, it's expected that that's primarily where a lot of that, the action's going to take place. So that allowed us, I think, to get outside of that and get outside of our heads a little bit and ultimately what we landed on was like no i think this this works because this thing now is a little more invasive it's 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 not on you know 10 acres of land it's on the two acres of land surrounding the house like like it's focused it's concentrated so you know it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise for us but we had a couple of really cool things we can do with corn though <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I can I can just be thinking about some in my head right now because that's your, your brain. The, the imagery is so iconic because, like you said, movies like Signs, um, cornfields are really great ways to be disorienting and do incredibly effective jump scares, right? And yeah, and it and corn cornfields are just creepy in general. I mean, corn mazes are a huge thing around here. I imagine they are where you are too. And there, oh, yeah. it's so easy to get a little panicked, even though it's like, no, I'm just in a farm right down the street from my house. It's fine. But they're, they're <laughs> right. very disorienting. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it, but I, I think you're right. I think, I think it was a blessing in disguise. Cause, cause like that aforementioned scene of the, the, the entity out in the field and everything, there's just this, like, oh, yeah, there's you're right it, it, it's like there's a target being placed here and when you're inside that space all bets are off of weirdness and it, it has like that poltergeist thing of you know like it, like like what what is it really focused on is it the house that's the problem is it the people that's the problem like what's actually happening here and um you're able to build off of that incredibly well was there you know, and you don't have to go into specifics, but were there were there things you didn't get to shoot, like ideas that you had that, like, you know, you're like, oh man, you know, we, we had a cool idea for, I, I I don't know, maybe you had a like a ridiculous George Lucas style fourth act with spaceships, and then went, you know what, no, we're gonna be we're gonna be a little bit more subdued and and thinky on this one, or or was what you ended up putting on screen kind of what you wanted to do outside of the corn stuff, of course. Uh, well, I, I, I knew that I wanted, um, like 30 seconds or so of, of like nothing but money shot. 
shots. Like I, I knew I wanted that, but I yeah. knew it had to be really condensed. Um, like I, I, I love, you know, a person that has $20 million to, you know, construct a, a huge ship and we get to spend time looking at all of the very intricate details that the, the artisans who worked on it put into it. Like, that's great. But for us, it was like, no, everything has to be very quick. Like if you see it, um, we can't spend time on it. it it's gotta be, it, you know, we, we've, we've gotta be rushed. We've gotta have that feeling of that. We're always sort of against the clock. So we knew that we, you know, wanted like 30 seconds to a minute, you know, towards the end where if someone, and, and, and again, like I don't try not to give anything away, but as, if right, someone, me too. that's so, yeah, it's so difficult sometimes, you know, but it's like, if someone, let's say, for example, said, well, you know, if this was a real alien movie, they'd have an alien, they'd have a spaceship, you'd be floating in the fucking sky, blah, 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 blah. Um, and like the approach would be to Blair Witch it, you know, which is let's give them something very obtuse at the end that hints at all that, but we don't see it. So, and we wanted to do something very different. It was like, well, can we put that all in 30 seconds? You know, could we stuff a bunch of reveals in 30 seconds? And, and um, you know, like there, I, I will say, you know, there is that aspect, like you don't go through the film, not seeing anything. Um, no, not at all. Do get to the end. It's like, uh, Oh uh, wow. All this is here suddenly. And that's also was another opportunity for, us to sort of use what we had, which um, I've done a lot of green screen work and I've done a lot of, uh, you know, visual effect work. So, you know, at one point, I, like I will say, so for those listening, I, I will say that there, there's a payoff in the sense that we had an entire room that was nothing but green screen at one point when we were. And, and I like this. This this is like this is like we're revealing how a magic trick worked, but saying it in code. <laughs> so like, no, see the movie. I can right. picture it now. And that's you did some great green screen work considering the budget you just <laughs> aforementioned. That you spent oh, yeah. You, you're right. You showed it just. It, that's that's where we get people. Yeah. We, that's sort of like, uh, you know, and, and, and again, we. You know, that was to us very strategic because it was like, you know, we we want this to play like something that you'd see, um, you know, on the History Channel or, you know, on Ancient Aliens or something where, you know, this is fuzzy. This is not in focus. This could be this. This could be that. You know, we wanted to leave a lot up to up to interpretation because we wanted to lull people into this idea that they weren't going to see anything like we really yes. wanted people to think, OK, you're, th this you know, it's a relatively modest movie. I don't think that they could put this in or that in it. So we wanted to go most of the movie with, with people thinking, oh, well, you know, they're also going for extreme realism. And if they're going for that, then we're not going to see these other things. And then, you know, I, you know, we, we've been lucky enough to be in, in audiences where the last five minutes of the, the film, all of a sudden we see people that the way that they're positioned in their chairs becomes a lot different. Yeah, like where they're like, oh, this is, is now something it's still thematically the same film. But all of a sudden, I think there's this level of, oh, oh, my, this this is happening. This that we've been given this and we didn't expect we were going to get it. So that was something that we were very, uh, very focused on. Um, and I'll also say 
something that we did shoot. So we want to take that question and, and, and juxtapose it a little bit. Something that, not that we wanted to shoot, but did something that we did shoot. So there's a point where it is towards the end of the film. And I, you know, a reckless filmmaker that I am, decide that I'm going to go out into the night because there is something very strange out there. Yep. We're getting ready to leave, and this might be the footage we're looking for. Um, and then, of course, that gets very strange, and, and that starts, really, that sort of sparks the, the bigger, you know, uh, more conclusive, escalated, you know, events to happen after that. Mm. Um, so there's something out there we could say that maybe it's humanoid, and I get close to it, right? So we actually shot a sequence that is much longer and it takes me much longer to get into the house. And we spent about three weeks on, on CGI, um, for this thing. Uh, and, and we tried a lot of really bizarre stuff with it and it. And, and we had this sequence that again, was very effects heavy. Um, and I spent a lot of time on it. Like it was a lot of late, late nights to get this thing looking the way I thought it should look. And we had it in the film and I, I watched the film with it all the way through and it, it was too much. Interesting. It just was way too much. And I mean, it would have definitely for, I guess for a lot of people it might've been extremely rewarding. It's like, Oh my, look at that. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I just had that moment where I was watching it and I'm like, it, it's just not this movie. Like it, it just, it's not, it's not here. It's, it's too much and it's too, it's just way too much. Um, and, and we took it out, you know, and, you know, is for a movie that doesn't cost a lot when you put a lot of time and effort into one specific sequence, it's a little gut wrenching when it doesn't work out. And mm -hmm just didn't work out it sounds like the right choice though because you're 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 really touching on something important where you're this genre in particular you get people that feel cheated sometimes by films like Blair Witch Project and things like that forgetting how effective that is the first time you watch it because it really really is yeah but that you know whereas your movie and like I said the rewatchability of this is that you really you can tell as a viewer and now that you've said that that you were putting that level of attention into how it played and if it earned its payoff because the payoff i won't call it definitive like you know the movie still has a lot of wonderfully unanswered questions but it's pretty definitive as to right. what's going on you know if you you might not oh yeah you, you know, it, it, it answers the question of what exactly is going on here, which is the important part. Why it's going on and what explains every little individual scene is left up for interpretation, which is cool. But, you know, you mentioned movies with a little bit more budget and, you know, the, that the payoff is too much. It really makes me think of Oren Pelly's Area 51, which, mm -hmm. have you seen that? I imagine you have. Yeah. Which, yeah. If that had been the only film Warren Pelly had ever made and not the follow-up to Paranormal Activity, it would be, you know, probably more well-respected. But that movie is missing any sort of holding back, 
you know, it it, it it's very much oh, yeah. people are gonna go to Area 51, they're gonna see an alien and you're gonna see a spaceship. And that that's the movie. And because of that, it feels much more huh. Okay, yeah, so that that's about what I expected. It's not bad, it's actually a very fun little movie, you know. But take his his ending shot, which for people that haven't seen it, I don't want to blunder, but that ending shot of yeah. what happens to cap the movie is friggin' terrifying. And it's shot really well, oh, yeah. and it's it's so simple and quick, and it could have easily been the last shot of your movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just that that stinger. It's got a stinger. Why they had to show you so much leading up to it instead of just, well, may, may, maybe, you know, maybe maybe what's going on isn't really what's going on. And then that stinger moment of the camera and the kids floating and I won't go into it. It's just, you can tell that was a concept shot and then they didn't really know what to do leading up to it. And I like right. that you said you could put something in that you really felt was a good payoff and then go... Yeah, it's too much. I, it has to go, and that—that's the sign of someone that really knows what they're doing, or at least, you know, as you looked at the whole package and didn't—it's—it's it, it's murdering the babies, right? You go, oh, I love this thing, but it's—it's got to go, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and it's—it's it's painful, you know. You—you you do go through some some growing pains as as you you know come to completion of these projects and. You know, especially with, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like a, a one-man band. You know, I, I edited this thing, you know, yeah. did all the... Um, the only thing I didn't do, I didn't do the score, which we, luckily we had a guy, Brian Jones, who was a very, very adept musician come in and, and do the score for us, and, and we loved what he did. But um, if he hadn't come in, I'm sure that I'd be, you know, sitting here with a Casio keyboard trying to oh, figure God. this shit out. I know how that goes. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, you, you become your resource. That's sort of what you do. You're like, okay, if I don't know someone or I don't have X amount of money, then it looks like I'm going to learn some very rudimentary skills and try to apply them as best as I can. And like, that's sort of, you know, what what you do. Um, what it does allow you to do, I think, is a, it, it allows you to look at the mechanics a little bit differently. You know, because you're not looking over an editor's shoulder, you're editing yourself, and you have a different system of checks and balances. So um, there was a, a lot of those elements where you know we we had some some big ideas, and and I, and I look back and I'm like, I don't know if we would have been able to do that, or pull it off, or you know, I, I know that we would have tried, we might have tried and failed, but it, you know, at the the end of the day. When when I look at what we did put in there, I'm like, well, that that's really the story that I was that I was wanting to tell, you know, was I I was wanting to tell a story where even if we had a a, a big er or a big ish element towards the end of it, you know, if this were 100% real, um, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, that would be too good to be true, and right. people would be like, no, you know, this is exactly the kind of smoke gun we're looking for but unfortunately <laughs> but unfortunately now your smoking gun is is working against you yeah, yeah absolutely so um to you know come back to full circle of what today is you've released this thing upon the world now it is it is day yeah one. that was terrifying <laughs> yeah 
Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to say congratulations, and that's you know to you and everybody involved, you, your producers, sound actors, your wife, everybody. You know, thank it's you. Just it's a huge, huge undertaking and success in my opinion. But I wanted to know a little bit since I I I met you through you pitching this thing online. Mm-hmm. Was the was the marketing and the pitch and like the crowdfunding aspect of it? Did you do that to help get the film made, or did you have this thing kind of together and then that started? Uh, we we pretty much had it together. Um, we we knew you know what we were capable of doing. So um, and especially after again like such a big letdown of a film because the the film that we were getting ready to do was. Uh, uh, you know, we had budgeted and and invested a good four hundred fifty thousand dollars into the film previous. Holy so, crap! Yeah, even though it's a mic, it was a micro budget film. You know, we were going into it. We were working with you know SAG, and we were working with uh, you know uh, Film Commission out of Chicago. We were getting all of our ducks in a row. We were working with some very well known actors, and and were able to establish some some nice relationships and. You know, you know, we were talking to a bunch of agents and, um, you know, we had enough money that it felt very Hollywood, you know, at least to us. And to have that sort of rug pulled out from under you as quickly as it did. The main thing that I didn't want was I didn't want that to happen again. I, I didn't want to have to rely on, on funding from anybody else. Like it was I, I was going to have to make this. I was going to have to have the money to make it before I even started making it so that I knew that I had a, a timeline and a schedule and and that i was going to get it made within an acceptable amount of time and then we were gonna you know go through the whole process so yeah we had all of that but we also knew too that you know it's like we've got to get out there this is definitely got to be grass grassroots we've got to talk to people we've got to get people interested in it so you know a lot of that marketing of course was done by ourselves and you know what little money we had left over so yeah we had the, the movie made and we weren't really relying on much but um you know, we, we, we definitely knew that, like, for, for, for me, I, I wanted people to see it. You know, I, I wanted people to, and it's very important to me to be able to, to show people what can be done. You know, what can be done with a very limited budget, um, with limited resources. And, you know, we're in an age where, you know, have phone, will travel, now make a movie. You know, the overhead is very different than in the 70s and 80s. You know, we can do remarkable things um you know if we just have the technology at our disposal so that was a big thing too that we wanted to really get that message across because i i think that some movies are misrepresented and like i don't want to come across sound like a dick but there's a lot of movies that present themselves as being like these indie darlings but there's still hundreds of thousands of dollars floating around behind them and i think it's a huge disservice to people who are really trying to do what they want to do and do it on their own terms because we have these movies that come out and they always and again it's the marketing engine surrounding hollywood you know and i don't want to get like conspiratorial but you know they they have a narrative you know and the and the narrative sometimes is the cinderella story the narrative is we want to project that this is a small film that took audiences by storm and now it's made hundreds of millions of dollars when that was sort of the game like that was sort of part of their whole strategy oh yeah was 
you, you're that is that is Bloomhouse's entire strategy. Is yeah, and and not not that they're making bad content, but that's their strategy. You know, we st- we make a bunch of bigger name people be in a smaller thing and run it like a 1970s indie production. Spend five million bucks on it, and it makes forty million its opening weekend, and now it's a huge hit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's a narrative. You know, they're they're actually they're yeah they're spinning a narrative. Well, you got movies, you know, I was going to say, we're, we're in the wake of, you know, Terrifier 2 having a theatrical mm-hmm. run. And when you mentioned four hundred and fifty grand invested in your other movie, it made me think of that because on paper, and who knows with the marketing and, you know, the name picking it up, but on paper, that's a $250,000 movie. And right, yeah. so the fact that, that that is one where it's like, holy crap, that made $8 million. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's only playing in like 150 theaters. Like that's that's nuts. Like good for them. But yeah, I, yeah. And and luckily there were people smart enough to realize that there was a, there was an open hole. You know, correct. and that that movie fit nicely into it. You know, like I think there were some really smart people there. But that still has the narrative. You know that that they and not not I've seen it. It's a riot. But you know that. Oh yeah. That, yeah. that that has the narrative though of you get one person to get really upset in a screening and you're all set. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. that's cool though because people are looking for that. You know what I mean? That's that people are definitely looking for it. But that that pivot was to say, you know, okay, so you you get this movie done, and what like. How was it first unveiled to people? How did you find? Because you know, when you're when you make something and it's close to you, especially when you got a small group of people working with you on it, you've all seen it so much that you oh, might yeah. be in love with the damn thing, and then you show it to a group of people. Did this like what was your first like experience having people not directly related to the project see it? We were very fortunate. Like we were very, very fortunate, and working with a lot of people, especially the cast who you know really had no idea too much prior to this that they were going to make a movie you know they really didn't have a lot of ambition to do this but they found a lot of fun in it so i was working with people who didn't really know what was going to happen at all um and sometimes you know that that included me but and it's strange because i i was a very much um let's manage our expectations kind of guy and Sometimes that sort of works against me because, like, I really want to be the guy in the locker room that gives the pep, you know, talk that wins the big <laughs> games. Um, and instead, I'm the kind of the guy in the locker room going, "Listen, your mothers love you, and that's what's important." You know, and it's like right. that's not really the like, you know, that's that's not gonna, you know, make its way into Gladiator or Braveheart. Um, it's just not gonna happen. So when we first started thinking about, okay, we've got a movie, it's edited, it's pretty solid. Um, we've had a couple people look at it and people who were, you know, going to give us, you know, their, their honest opinions. And at that point I said, okay, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to put this in a few festivals. We'll see how it fares. Um, and of course I, I, I looked at everyone and I said, you know, if we get into one or two, that'll be great. I said, let's manage our expectations. One or two is, is great. You know, and, and if we managed to actually play at, at it, you know, um, that would be fantastic. So let's do that. So we, we sent out to a few of these festivals and we started, you know, getting official selections. And 
um, you know, I'd go back to the group and I'd be like, okay, so update, you know, we're playing at this festival in Louisville, then we're playing at one in Lexington, we're playing at one in Brooklyn, and they were sort of like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And I'm like, no, just manage our expectations. They have awards. We probably won't win. You know, it's like well, I wasn't trying to, you know, it's like they get the, the worst pep talk at all. It's like, just be glad you're on the team. So um, we went to these festivals and, uh, you know, then we started to, we started to, to win awards and it was, it was like, Hey, it, you know, um, you know, this might've been a, fluke we might not win anymore so you know let's be really grateful that you know people saw the movie it played to an audience um that they liked it and then that the you know the 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 board you know whatever festival decided to give us an award so we went through that for like a few months and it was just manage expectations manage expectations and we were still getting into festivals and we, we were still you know winning awards and it's again it's strange and I, I know this is a little bit redundant but i i have to reiterate like when when you're doing a lot of the the, the, the legwork for a project like when you're emailing people and when you're um you know sending out screeners when you're doing this you're doing that um you start thinking of yourself as much more administrative and you sort of distance yourself from yeah. the creative person that made it and it's weird like it's a it's a weird transition you go through because you start looking at things very very differently and you don't realize that you know this whole process is is pretty awesome it's it's pretty fantastic and it's it's something that you know you really need to sit back and sort of take in and, and soak up and uh you know there were times where it hit me but but I think I was so mired down in the just the aspects of the work behind it and the, the work that went into it that only really now, like the last couple of weeks, have I sort of sat back and went, wow, I I, I can't really believe that, you know, this is this is what it is. And it's, this is fantastic and it's wonderful. And, you know, I, I get to experience it with with wonderful people and. You know, it's like I get a very like new agey sort of mentality, you know, where I'm like, wow, this is this is transcendent. This is, you know, something that I never thought would happen and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm finally there. Like, I'm, I'm finally there. But but no, to answer your question, like, you know, we, we thought that there was going to be this process, but we just didn't know if it was going to take, you know, like the first few festivals were sort of the, the litmus test. And, and even then we weren't for sure that it was going to, to keep, you know, because so many great movies come out each year and, and every time you submit your film, another great movie has been made. Oh and, yeah. And it's, it's hyper competitive. And, and a lot of it too, is movies that you like. I mean, there were certain movies we were playing against at festivals for nominations and awards. And I'm like, and I, I know we're not going to get anything because I've seen this. I've seen this movie and it is good. Like, it's really good. And, you know, there were moments where you just just to get nominated up, you know, against films that I'm like, wow, I can't believe that we were sort of in that same arena. Um, and that was very sort of humbling, but also, you know, 
a, a fantastic moment. So yeah, we had a, you know, we had what we thought was, you know, sort of the ABCs of people seeing our movie, but uh, um, I, I think we underestimated what we had done. And I hope that doesn't sound pretentious, but I think we had underestimated that people really liked what we did. And, and, and that's a weird sort of thing to come to because you don't want to, um, you don't want to gain a destructive level of conceit. You don't want to start thinking that you're something that you're not. It's like, you know, again, the system of checks and balances always sort of has to be in place. So you have to take the good with the good um, and you can enjoy it. Um, I guess just don't enjoy it too much. I don't know. No, and, and you probably, know, probably no worse lies there. No, but it's really important you said that because it, it doesn't sound pretentious. You, what you had just said about the narrative is a really important thing because a good marketing team can build up a narrative for, you know, a, a low budget acquisition for a big production company to tell the, like you said, the Cinderella story that people want to hear. But what you did here is you, this, this was a circumstantial thing. You wanted to make a movie. You lost the ability to make the movie you wanted to make. You wanted to work. So you came up with something you could make and that resonated with people and you can't manufacture that. And it's great to hear that that can still happen. I, I do did a lot of reviews for the Salem horror fest when it went all remote for COVID and the movies mm. being brought in there. Like you'd watch these movies side by side and I'd go, how can I even pick? Like these people are just operating oh, yeah. on like a level of, and again, they're movies like yours. You know, they were made, they were, you know, made for, you know, three people are on the crew and, you know, the guy shot the movie yeah. with two iPhones and you watch it and go, how? Like I, I could see this play on a big screen. And the fact that you're still able to gain traction and have your stuff get seen. I mean, when you, when you were talking about this, looking for people to watch it on the found footage sites, I think you might have had like four selections then, you know, yeah. and and then to watch. I mean, it was like a daily update from you. Wow. We're, we have six selections now. Wow. We're and now I mean, I don't know the number. What, what's your selection and award number? Because you, you a while ago were the most awarded indie found footage movie ever. Right. Or indie movie. What, like, what, what's what's the number? Yeah. <laughs> like, so the, the, the found footage film and, and we were we were driving in the car. And my, my wife is a much better researcher than I am. Right. And she was looking through uh, award wins because we we hit so many so quickly and we had done quite a bit of travel to hit some of these festivals. And she was like, how many do we have? And I said, Oh, honey, you know, I don't know. I said, I'd have to sit down and, you know, because we've had a, a couple come in from here and from there and we've had nominations and I don't know if the nominations are still pending. And she was like, well, would you say that we're close to 20? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. I said, but it conservatively, yeah, somewhere in the teens. And that's when she was like, well, here's the number for the most highly awarded, you know, found, found footage of all that, which, which was the Blair Witch at one point. Of course. And, um, and I'm like, oh, well, well, we might be close to that. I, I have no clue. And we, we, we got home um, and we were putting everything together. And I was... Uh, scrambling and looking for laurels and stuff like that. Um, and we were like three away and I'm like, Oh wow. wow I can't believe we're like that close. And, and, and then we just started to get 
more in. So we ended up closing out the season. Like the last festival we were in, we were fortunate enough to, to win Best Feature again. Saw so, that, yeah. So we came in at, at 24. So we're a 24-time award-winning film. And I think the official selection stands at, at, at upwards of, of 30, north of 30. festivals. That's insane. Yeah. It's weird just talking about it. <laughs> like, it's weird saying it, the numbers. Like, right? Well, no, and it just, it pivoted into it so perfectly. I mean, I didn't want to lead with that, you know, like, well, of course we're here talking to you today because you're the most awarded. But it, it, it's a true thing because, like, one, it's great to see that things like the horrible time we went through the last two years opened up more ability to get films like this out here, right? Awards were able to become more remote. You were able to get your, but just like the fact that there's still people want to invest time and money into having these festivals and showing these movies and getting people out there. It, the community is huge and you never hear about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's again, like, you know, and it's something that I, that I got to keep saying because of how taken aback I am like, there's a, there's so many great films out there. So many, um, and I've been on a couple of um, film festival boards throughout the years. And just like you said, I mean, you get these films in where you're like, and sometimes it's strange because you have this moment where you're like, what in the world is Hollywood thinking? Like, yeah. Look at how fertile this industry is. Why in the world aren't these films getting theatrical releases? Like it's, it's upsetting. Like it's frustrating. You know, you're like, why in the world aren't these films just exploding? And they're so, many in there it's just it's 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 mind numbing to think of of just how much talent there really is that it's um it's unfortunate that you know the cogs of the industry hasn't sort of haven't haven't clicked them in yet and i guess that's sort of a you know that's a good and a bad thing because you know they've got that freedom but at the same time it's like you want these movies to be seen yes they're that good you want them in theaters you want people to have that experience and uh yeah it's, it's it's you know i i think we're looking at you know like you said with you know a couple of years of, of people having to rely on their own ingenuity and people being very reflective and introspective and asking themselves what they want to be and what they want to do i think has created some fantastic creative personalities that we might not have had before um yeah. oh yeah because they they had that level um yeah, I mean, I hope I answered your question. Sorry, it's just no, you I started did. talking you about did. the films and stuff. It's like it's very, it's a very exciting thing just seeing the volume that we're getting is is crazy. Now, did, these these awards things, you said, you know, you you were down on the turf, emailing, submitting. You know, you became the the you know town crier for your own project, which is it's <laughs> right. a big undertaking. But did it did it ever at some point in that feel like it started taking on a life of its own? Like, did it? Were you no longer like just submitting, but getting like reached out to? Did it ever get a point where like people were like being told you need to talk to Ash and these guys and get this movie in your festival? Did like any of that happen? Yeah, that that started to happen, and I I think the moment where, and like I don't like I don't know what I can say legally. By the way, right, right, right of course. Forgive me if I'm a little apprehensive. 
But um, at one point in time, a distributor contacted us um, that it was not the distributor that we went with, by the way. Um, the one we went with was for, for different reasons that I that, that I think were the right reasons. But um, of course, a larger distributor um, contacted us at one point and was very uh, excited about the fact that they had seen the film and they had actually seen it at a festival. And when I realized who the person was that owned the company that reached out to me and the fact that I was actually talking to them blew my mind. Yeah, uh, that was that, awesome. that moment where I was just like, I can't, I can't actually believe that this just happened. I, I can't, I was like, I, I, I love being on the phone, but I really wanted to get off the phone to tell my wife and to call my mom and be, all these people just be like, do you know who just contacted me? Like who had seen the movie and actually liked it. And, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't a turning point, I guess, like fiscally because we didn't go going with them, but it was definitely, a, a it gave me some confidence that I probably didn't have. That's that. awesome. And that was really, really good for me going forward, because even if we would have hit a slump or things would have turned out the way that they did, I had that, that moment, you know, that was like, I got a story. <laughs> I got well, a story I, that I can tell my kids or whatever. I, I apologize for asking a question that, that delved into a, a difficult topic. So I apologize, but um, I, I really appreciate the answer because it, it's just all smiles for me over here. Right. I love, I love hearing how this came to be. And you know, that with, without, without talking your, your head off forever, you know, that brings us to, you know, today you've been ramping this up for a bit and, you know, the the floodgates open and people are renting and hopefully buying. I, I bought a copy um, oh, of, thank this, you. of this I flick. That. No, I, I got it for my voodoo because I and I'll probably buy a physical copy. I am all about supporting people that do this stuff. And, you know, I like you said, legality and distribution and everything else. That's a whole other ballpark of insanity. Um, oh, yeah that I'm, I'm glad you're in the middle of because it means more people are going to see your movie. But I know that that is its own level of weirdness, but um, how wild is that, man? Like what, what you, you've, you've spent a day where people like anybody that wants to can see your damn movie. That's cool. Yeah, it, it was, it was strange, but I, I tend to like, I, I like to interact with people and um, you know, I, if I'll go into a group, people are talking about it. I'll shoot people messages, you know, and be like, Hey, hope you enjoyed the film. You know, thank you. So first of all, thank you so much for renting it. Um, you know, just thank you for being interested in it. Like that's, I really want to be a part of that. Um, because I don't think enough people do it. Like I, I think people, people at $4 is $4, you know, I mean to anybody. Right. And the, the idea that somebody's waking up and they're pushing that to something I made to me is, you know, for me, it's, that's a small miracle. So, I want to let them know that that's important. So I go in a lot of groups and stuff and man, it was like at some point around like 1 PM, there was a discussion about, okay, so this person's in Australia, this person's looking for the UK, somebody's trying to get it here in Canada. And that was when like, I was just like, I don't, I don't think I anticipated that. Um, you know, you always, uh, pray for the best hope for the worst. And, you know, if you hit somewhere in the middle, that's fantastic. But the idea that there are people internationally that are excited about something I did, like, again, that's wonderful, but it's, it's, a, you have to wrap your brain around it. I think it takes a little bit of time to do that. 
Oh, I, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around it, and I'm not the guy that made it. This is, you know, <laughs> I mean, this, this is, you know, you can, you can equate it back to the podcasting and everything else. This is what's so cool about this. Like people go, yeah, oh, yeah, it's just another guy doing a podcast talking about whatever, and it's like, yeah, I get that, but at the same time, it's, it's a creation, right? Like, yeah, sitting and chatting with someone, yeah, it's not the hardest art form in the world, but to keep it interesting. And to be able to, I'm talking to you in Illinois from Boston about a movie that you were able to make and get in front of people that now, today, someone like you said in Australia can click and watch. We both grew up in a world where 20 years ago that wasn't possible. 10 years ago that wasn't yeah. possible. And it, it, what I really like about technology, as weird as this sounds, is everything circles back to small artistic creative person now has a new sounding board to get their crap out there for people to see and we always revert back to that no matter how big hollywood gets no matter how big music gets technology always seems to go back to check out my paintings check out my music check out my movie it's just yeah. distributed a different way but it it's got a cool like punk rock like lo-fi like thing that i just love and Hearing, you know, you you just had a day that not a lot of people get to have out of something you just did because you wanted to create something cool. That's and, awesome. and and the fact that we're talking about it, just the fact that again, you know, the technology and the availability and this idea of people, you know, getting together and and being able to to bullshit about things that they're passionate about is it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing to me. You know, I when I was a kid, like I I, I would beg my parents to take me i lived in a town of like 450 people it was remote we Damn. had maybe nine miles of nothing but cornfield between us and the nearest town and i would beg my parents to take me to this old used bookstore that was about 40 minutes away because i knew they had stacks of magazines and i had found old famous monsters of film land magazines yes! and i would pour through them and pour through them and i would learn about movies that i never knew existed and you know I, I, it's weird because you know here i am and this is you know in the 80s and i'm like going to school and trying to talk to kids my age about like you know 13 ghosts you know the old william castle movie you know and it's like these kids are looking at me like i might as well just step out of a fucking flying saucer you know they're like who in the what the world is this kid talking about and and here we are years later with shared enthusiasm and being able to connect with people on a daily basis who love these things. I mean, again, talk about something that seems to me miraculous is I never thought in my life when I was 10 years old that there'd be all this connective tissue. I never thought I'd, you know, be sitting in front of a microphone talking about old black and white horror films or the fact that I even made a film. Yeah, it seems crazy to me. It's awesome. And and that, that that's really the whole point of all of this, right? And and look at this connection. You know what I mean? You you make a movie, you ask some people to watch it, I watch it, you know, and we're able to talk about it like, you know, like we've been chatting about this forever. It's just cool when you yeah. find somebody that matches an interest. And you might have got like you said, you were in a town of four hundred and fifty people. I was in a town of a hundred thousand people. I felt like a, the weird outcast that liked the weird stuff when I was in high school. Right. You know, and, and there were 300 kids in my class, 
you know? Yeah. And I felt like there might have been one other person I could connect with. And now we we were running around all creating content together, like um like we've known each other forever, but we're in you know, I have half of the people I podcast with don't even live in this country, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It's like, it, you know, there are, there are days where it seems very commonplace because we're so inundated with it. And then there are days where it, it still seems miraculous to me, you know? Well, so it's, con- and the conversation can bring you back. It's, it's, it's like, I don't want to call it free therapy, but, you know, like you said, the the ability to sit down and philosophize and, and chat is a very freeing experience if you do it the right way, you know, especially oh, yeah. if it's not a debate. We're not sitting here yelling at each other. We're we're sharing enthusiasm that that's addictive. It is. It is. And again, I got to I got to thank you for having me on because it's been wonderful just sitting here chatting. And, you know, even if we weren't talking about something that that I made, um, just talking about movies and talking about the process and, and talking about, you know, all the fantastic things that are out there. I mean, this is the stuff that, you know, that I want to continue to talk about because it's, of it's course, great, I, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I was going to pitch it to you offline, but I'll say it now and then you'll have to do it. I'd love to have you on Talkbuster sometime to talk about Old Town Video because I think that. Oh, be I'd fun. love to. I so would we'll, absolutely love to. We'll put a pin in that, but uh, to. To bring this all around, you know, I I want to say a huge congratulations on this because I uh, I hope I hope that it continues to skyrocket for you. And selfishly, I hope you put it in festivals that are near me so I can see it on the big screen. Thank <laughs> and you. Maybe meet you and buy you a beer. <laughs> that would have been great. Hey, if you would have been in uh, Lexington, we got to see it on the IMAX. No way. Oh, that's yeah. Jesus. Yeah, we won. Uh, we won best. No, I don't know if it won best. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I feel so bad that I don't have it right here. But it was either best feature, best director. I can't remember which one that I won. But it was, uh, it was, it was a scare fest, and um, they had it, the they had a couple of selections playing in the IMAX, and, and ours was one of them. And and that was insane. I had no idea that was going to happen. I wasn't told beforehand, and I freaked out at first because I'm like, if my film looks like crap. It's really gonna look like crap on IMAX. So I had that moment where I'm like, okay, let me just swallow my stomach here, and then go in and watch it. And it it was it was amazing. Well, I was gonna say you're like it was, a lot of I never would have thought that. A lot of this movie is medium shots of you. So what was that like a 25 foot tall ash up there on the screen? Uh, yeah, and then you start looking like. How many pounds does my nose occupy? Jesus. <laughs> you start looking at things that you'd like never look at it before. And you're like, that blackhead is literally the size of an old tramp steamer. That thing's oh. huge. I, I, I need to exfoliate. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, yeah, God, this, uh, I, I could chat forever. I, I, I try to bring things back around to a circle because I don't want to keep either of us forever, but I wanted to give you a chance like I do to every guest, but particularly you, any shout outs, anything you want to say to people that, you know, I haven't touched on or just the, the, the microphone is yours, my friend. I uh, will. If anybody really loves horror films, um, I also run a site that's nothing but horror films. It's a uh, uh, horror hyphen fix.com. And, we do interviews with filmmakers and I run news. So anybody interested in horror films can always check out my site too, where 
on their daily. And, you know, we run some pretty cool interviews and articles and stuff on there. And um, I hope everybody sees the movie and I hope that they all enjoy it. And, you know, if I'm around and, you know, people want to interact with me, don't hesitate, you know, reach out, ask me a question. I love talking about movies and I love talking about horror movies too. So, you know, I'm, I'm usually uh, very approachable. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ash, again. Thank you for making this movie number one. Thank you for agreeing to talk to me and for letting me watch it, you know, all those months back because that was huge. And I'm, I'm glad I finally got to put some content out to help you. Thank you for shooting the shit with Chippa. Thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.